everyone, and welcome to Minute 22 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action movie, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today <laughs> is Lil Eddie, formerly of the DCTV Report and Wicked Theory Podcast. Welcome back, Eddie. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great. Let's Let's find out what happens with all these wires. You know, yeah, there's a lot of wires here. <laughs> more yeah. wires, more wires than than you would think, even in the 1980s. Who knows? Well, <laughs> hey, hey, man, big office building. There's a lot of phones in that on in that building. That's true. So there's true. there's got to be a lot of phone lines. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's all the uh, you know the Pacific Bell uh, monopoly. <laughs> so, minute 22 begins with Tony continuing to search through the wires and ends with Carl making his way down the corridor with uh, what looks like a blast shield over over his face. You know, <laughs> reminiscent of something in Star Wars, maybe? Who knows? Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll have to figure that yeah. out. Maybe he's going to do some welding. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe he's coming down to have a little more pizza with, with his brother. You know, they they were playfully dancing down their way. So in this, you know, in the script. So maybe here they're just playfully dancing separately. You know, down down the corridor to basement level minus two or basement level yes. two. So you know, yesterday we ended things with with Tony getting to the Pacific Bell uh, treasure chest and opening up the the cabinets and getting all of these various wires and. You know, so we, we get him continuing to start sorting through those wires. We're not really sure what he's looking for. Obviously, yeah. he knows what he's looking for. But, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, there's the saying a needle in a haystack. But here he's looking for a wire in a wire stack, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, the you know, after a second, the shot changes and we get to see John McClane's feet. And he's actually making fists with his toes on the carpet, just like he was just like was suggested to him, uh, I guess, a little over a month ago. When he was actually still on the plane. Now, this right here, Die Hard, I have to say, in my opinion, is one of the perfect movies. There's only a handful of them. And this is an example of great screenwriting. Yes. Uh, you know, this 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 right here, just this whole idea, you know, and I know I know this podcast is focuses on the micro, but I just want to take one step back and do a little bit of macro here. You can do macro. Macro is fine. Yeah. Macro is included yeah. in the micro. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, where where you, you look at this story and we have this big action picture where a guy's running around a building trying trying to, you know, uh, tr trying to save save everyone from these terrorists. And uh, it just you someone has the idea that this is going to be 10 times more challenging and so much more suspenseful if he's running around in his bare feet. But why the heck would anyone take off their shoes and socks in an office building? And so you start off, you, we're going to start the movie with him on a plane next to some smart Alec who gives this crackpot theory about getting over air travel by making by standing on a carpet making fists with your toes. Yes. <laughs> and we see that pay off right here. <laughs> right. Now, I want to give you a little bit of background on this one that you probably didn't know. First of all, do you know that this, the movie's based on a novel? Yes, yes. Okay. Nothing have lasts you, forever. Have you read right, have you ever read Nothing Lasts Forever? 
I have not. I have okay. not. So there is a scene, not at the very beginning, where someone, where he, where the character, who's not John McClane, is, mm-hmm. is, uh, his name is Joe Leland, he's thinking back to the fact that someone told him that you should walk around on a carpet barefoot in order to get over tension. So, mm-hmm. you know, the idea comes from the original novel, and they, they adapted it really well here. And like you said, they give us the first scene, you know, where it's suggested, where it's just thrown out there and nobody's going to, nobody expects it to, to show up later. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, as they say, Chekhov's uh, bare feet, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing where, you know, you're, you're, we're 21 minutes into this now and you've forgotten about that story. Correct. No, no question about that. And yeah. And again, they give us two seconds of him playing with his feet on the carpet. That's it. You know, the idea again is that we're going to forget about it. You know, yeah. you don't care about the fact that he's okay. He's, he's here with his feet, you know, uh, making fists with his toes on the carpet and, in Ellis's and office, you know, and that's yeah. it. And he's almost, he's laughing at how stupid this idea is and kind of marveling at, I guess it works. <laughs> yeah. Now I mean, my biggest problem with it, and I, I talked about this a few weeks ago, but I'll, I'll mention it again, is that, Okay. He got off the plane, let's say, two hours ago, two and a half hours mm-hmm. ago. Now he wants to get rid of his stress. You know, you know, maybe it's because of his little argument with Holly. I don't know. But it's not it's not from his his uh, problems from being on the plane. Well, I think it's it's also it's the first it's the first chance he's had since he got off the plane where he's had five minutes alone to himself and he figures I'm not going anywhere for a while. Let me just try that. See, see what happens. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree with yeah. you on that, but I'm saying that he's not doing it because he feels tense. He's doing it because what the hell, you know, I have time, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, Holly has left me, left me here while she's going to going off to give her speech. So, mm-hmm. you know, might as well, I got nothing better to do in Ellis's office. So I might as well just, uh, you know, make fists with my toes. And yeah. obviously, screen from a screenwriting perspective, as you mentioned, it works really well. I mean, later this week, we'll we'll we'll, we'll touch upon this again. You know, the, mm-hmm. it's a, just the two second glimpse is great. Yes. Because if you know what to look for, you'll see it. That's <laughs> that's basically what it comes down to. You know, and then John goes son of a bitch and starts <laughs> laughing and says, "Fist with your toes." <laughs> yes, as like, he's wearing. Who would believe that? That's that's his point. Yes, as he's wearing that lily white, beautifully clean guinea tea uh, t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. That... It, it's not gonna last. It's not gonna stay that white, but uh, for yeah. now it is. Yeah, well, that that that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, oh, you know, if you've seen this movie before, you know what happens to that shirt. Yes, and it looks so clean right now. Yes, completely. And and then I noticed something here that I've never even thought about before. So, so John gets up, okay, and he pulls out his wallet from his pocket and opens his wallet. And so the first thing you see is that he's wearing his watch um, on the inside part of his wrist as opposed to the outside. Yes. Okay, so you see the, the face of the watch on the inside part, which, you know, is, is very convenient if you just need to get a quick glance along the way. You know, I, I think it's, I think it's uh, a military stance. That people do it that way. Yeah, yeah. I can also see like cops, you know, sitting in their car on a stakeout. Just you know, it it's more comfortable to have your hand and see the watch right. that way. Could be, mm-hmm. could be. Mm-hmm. So then he's looking at his wallet, and the first thing we see in the wallet is the the family portrait 
that Holly turned over, you know, face down a few weeks ago on her desk. So we see, uh, you know, John, Holly, uh, Lucy, and uh, John Jr. And then he has like this little, uh, it looks like a brownish card, which we're going to find out in a few seconds is actually Argyle's card, you know, his, his mm. business card. It, it looks a little more worn out than it really should, especially since Argyle just started working today. Yeah, you know, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. You know, we we can then see. Then he he picks up the card, and we see another picture. And there's a picture actually of Holly with the two kids, and Holly is is smiling. You know, so this also says something about John. You know, last week we talked a lot about the fact, you know, that that Holly and John are in this this rift for the last six months. You know, because he stayed in New York and she came to L.A. You know, but he still carries around a picture of the family and another and a picture of her. You know, smiling at him to make him feel good. I mean, if he's, if he's, if he doesn't want this marriage to work, he wouldn't be walking around with these, with, with these pictures. You know, he would just have pictures yeah. of his kids. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, and that's something that's kind of, well, I guess, you know, people don't carry wallets as much these days. I mean, I still do, but, uh, you know, I can even remember that was a big thing in, in the nineties, uh, you know, and I'm sure it was the same in the eighties where, you you know the wallet it wasn't just for carrying money around you know you you had mementos in there you know yes. my dad had like a bunch of pictures in his wallet you know yeah. those mm-hmm. yeah, yeah for sure you know like what type of things you carry on your wallet nowadays i mean really it's it's money uh you know credit cards like insurance cards and uh you know like business cards and little mementos i might put in like a like a, a like a little thing from a fortune cookie or something um uh okay, that's fair. I, yeah yeah that's fair i mean i i <laughs> in my wallet i have you know uh like you said credit cards some cash um mm-hmm. i also have a you know a, a, a little piece of paper with with a whole bunch of different details you know about uh you know about my kids and stuff like that you know like date of birth and mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, their social security numbers and things like that. So if I ever need it, it's there. You know, it's all yeah. in one little, you know, one little cheat sheet, I guess you can say, instead of having to look for it, stuff that you need these days. You know, in, mm-hmm. in, and I mean, I no longer have pictures in my wallet, but I used to, you know, back in the day. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember I, I, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you since I was 14 when this movie came out. So I did have pictures in my wallet back then. Um, I don't remember who I had pictures of, you know, I was a 14 year old kid. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I had a picture of my mom. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so yeah, I, I try and think about that. Like who, who would I have pictured, who would I have had pictures of as a teenager in my wallet? I do remember having, you know, that it, it was something that always came with the wallet, you know, the little plastic, uh, places to put, put in the pictures. Yeah. yeah. Not, not like Fletch type of stuff, you know, where it just like, Oh, you know, uh, unfolds like 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 it doesn't fletch but uh still and i mean yeah. in on in john's wallet besides the pictures you can see that he has what looks like an american express card and maybe another uh maybe it's a phone card or maybe it's uh another credit card or something like that it's hard to tell because you just see the the outer rim of it and stuff like that yeah so what what do you think the history of a wallet is <laughs> oh, that's let's see. Wow, it's that's got to be going back. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it's got to be an evolution of the coin purse. Um, let's see. Well, was that it would just come in the 18th century? Um, 19th century? 
Okay, the How... word the word originated in the late 14th century. Ah, okay. Okay, it was it, which means either bag or knapsack, and mm -hmm. it, it it they're not sure where it specifically comes from. It either comes from a a French word golette, which means little snout, or from a Germanic word which uh, which is uh, wall, which means like a roll, you know, to turn or revolve or something like that. You know, Ooh. apparently in, in Shakespeare, Shakespeare used it also. But oh, okay. he, he referred more to it as a backpack, you know, as opposed gotcha. to you know, uh, a the, but the, the modern meaning of a wallet. What we what we know nowadays comes from 1834, which was known as a flat case for carrying paper money. OK, you know, the ancient Greeks had a word that was similar to it also and stuff like that. I mean, again, we're not going to go that deep into it. But the one interesting thing I found about this is that how many different types of wallets do you think there are? Like not 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 brands or anything like that, like different purpose. Uh, how many different purpose wallet? Oh, I'm guessing are? I'm guessing probably dozens at least. Um <laughs> Just you know, I mean, I I could already think of like different different types. You're talking like like foldouts and or, or exactly of it. Yeah, 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 that's what I'm talking about. So so yeah. I ended up finding 24 different kinds. Now again, I'm wow. not going to go into all of them. That's just too much. But you know, as mm -hmm. you said, you have the 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 bifold and the trifold, and then you have what, what's known as a front pocket wallet, which is a wallet that mm -hmm. doesn't have any place to put money in. You know, it's just mostly mm -hmm. for cards. Or banknotes, and you can like fold fold up money and put it inside and stuff like that. You have what's known as a money clip wallet, okay, which is is has a clip that you can basically put money in together for it. Uh, again, yeah. I'm not going to go into all of them, but you have like uh, wallets that that are that are known as checkbook wallets. They're the size of a checkbook, so that mm -hmm. you can fit checks into them. Okay, you have uh, an L-zip wallet, which is a rectangular-shaped wallet with a zipper that run, runs runs along two sides of the wallet, which I actually used to have one of those, you know, okay. where where you can like zip it up and then it unzips. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, nowadays there are digital wallets, which is a computer file for maintaining digital currency. I guess you don't really need to worry about putting that one in your pocket. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and the one. On the phone now. Yeah, mm -hmm. the one that I found uh, to be most amazing. Yeah, actually, there's two that I found that are that are great. You have the automatic wallet, which is a wallet which has a mechanism that ejects inserted cards with a button to display them for use. It's also that known as be... a pop-up or a cascading wallet. That could be dangerous. Yes. <laughs> well, it can also be used as a weapon. There you go. And and the other one that I found is a tactical wallet. What do you what do you think a tactical wallet is? A tactical what would be your guess? Wallet. <laughs> tactical i mean you know is that something you know you you'd keep on your belt or something like that or <laughs> um or you know instead of containing money it can it contains you know uh, I, I i don't know tactics or instructions or something like that okay it's a functional wallet that incorporates a ruler a small saw a knife a bottle opener and other tools it's it's a thin wallet side multi-tool so you can sort of call it a swiss army uh wallet Oh, that's got to be some EDC gizmo. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But it's just very it's, cool to, to know that there that there actually is something like that around. You, you, you know? got you got to you got to love the everyday carry, folks. Yeah, <laughs> they sure. think of everything. <laughs> Why not? 
I, I just like the idea of it. You know, you have a Swiss, Swiss Army knives aren't, aren't as useful today as, as you know, you as we all thought they were when we were kids. But hey, hey know, it depends on what part of the world you're living in. <laughs> that's true. Also. Okay, that's true. There you go. But but still, <laughs> so it, it it's great the way that they uh, you know they they show him looking at the wallet and then he 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 flips the the picture of the the family portrait over. And we see writing on the back. First of all, we see opposite it another picture of Lucy. And then we see her, a, a child's writing that says, we miss you, daddy. Love Lucy and John. Yep. Okay. Which, which also says so much because it means that he put this in his wallet because his daughter sent it to him. It's not yeah. that he chose to, to put a, you know, a picture of the family in his wallet. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but yeah, he gets and, a, a nice little smile from it, so it 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 shows that that you know maybe he's getting a little bit uh, weepy from the whole thing. Well, I mean, I I could tell you, you know, in researching this, I was just listening to uh, uh, John McTiernan's commentary on the Blu-ray, and you know, he said it took halfway through the movie before they figured out like the whole point to John to the character of John McClane is that he doesn't really like himself. Right. You know, and this is this is one of those examples. Yeah, you know, of of a moment where like he knows what he should have done, and uh, he's angry that he didn't do it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then we we get another shot of Tony, who's uh, still working at at the uh, you know with the wires, but now he has something <laughs> connected to it. So we 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 see that you know this case is con he's connecting it somehow. I mean, I'm, I'm not a technical person, so I'm not even going to try and explain what it is that he's doing here. But what's cool is is that you see that there's a readout on, you know, in within this this little case. So you have different numbers that are listed there. So the bottom number says 1260, and then right after that, you know, the the next one shows up and it says 1160, and both both of them switch into 1160. You know, so it's I, I guess this is maybe a frequency that he's trying to find or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's trying to redirect. Uh, yeah. redirect everything so there won't be any outgoing calls. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. or, or incoming, I guess. Yes. You know, he mm -hmm. wants to, but he also, I guess, doesn't want people to know that there's a problem at the same time. You know, mm -hmm. we can see that he's working very intensely here because he's sweating and, you know, he, he ends up, we, we see the type of work that he does. He takes two little alligator clips, you know, puts them on the side of the wire and then, uh, you know, cuts in between them. You know, I'm not really sure how that helps because if the idea is to make it that nobody will notice, so I don't know if keeping the alligator clips will work on that or not. Again, I'm not a, I'm not that technical, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah, it it might just be something where he's he just wants to clamp down on the electrical flow between the wires so that you know he doesn't he doesn't get any kind of like static electricity or anything when he cuts it. Right. No, but it's, it's that he doesn't want someone else to figure it out. I don't think he's worried about himself yeah. because we'll mm -hmm. see later in the week how that. How uh, you know how upset he gets about the whole thing? Yeah, you know that maybe someone could. It's, he's not concerned about himself. He's concerned that that <laughs> someone's going to know that there's a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, and and then you know we get another shot of John. He's he's uh, you know back. first of all we we see that Tony's working really hard. You know, no question about that. And then we see yes. John pick up the phone, and you know dials the the number on the card, and you know we we he's waiting for it while it rings. And then we, we, we get to hear our good friend Argo, 
you know, first of all, we hear the car stereo blast, and he's he's having a blast. No question Our guy, about that. I, I will say, if if you get to live Die Hard as any character in the movie, you want to be Argyle. Argyle. Up, up until the up until he realizes what's going on. Once Argyle <laughs> realizes what's going on, he's crapping in his pants. Well, yeah, but I think even even then, you know, I think through through most of the movie, he's he's just hanging out there in that limo listening. Nobody nobody else knows that he's there. Nobody bothers him right. until the end of the movie. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. So, so he's, he's yeah, he's just hanging there with 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 that with that giant teddy bear having a ball. Yeah, that's right. He goes, hey Mac. He goes, yeah, Argo. Hey Mac, how's it going up there? All right, where are you? I'm kicking it in the garage. What's the word with you and your lady, man? Uh, the boat's not in yet. <laughs> yeah, so first of all, one thing I noticed, I've never noticed this before, is that, did you notice that, that John McClane, or perhaps Bruce Willis, has a scar along his rotator cuff on his right right arm? I mean, you can see it like at the 48 second. It's very interesting. I ne- I've never noticed that it, or... Because it doesn't look like it's just a shadow. It looks like that that's like a big scar. You know, I, I didn't try to go into uh, Bruce Willis's medical history to figure out if he ever needed something there. But, you know. Yeah. But it, it yeah. definitely looks like there's there's something there. Hmm. Yeah, I'm just noticing that now. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. Argyle, while he's having fun with this whole thing, while he's talking on the phone, I mean, when they show us Argyle, it looks like there are like flashing lights behind him. But I'm trying to figure out where those flashing lights are coming from. You know, does he have like a strobe light in the limousine? <laughs> I mean, he's in the same garage as the uh, as the Pacific Courier truck. Yes. Right. So maybe maybe those are just flashing headlights from the truck. I doubt it because nobody's in the truck mm-hmm. anymore. Mm. And and if someone was in the truck, they would they would notice that there's some guy in a limousine there, wouldn't they? Yeah. You know, it depends on how far away it is. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, don't know. And then we, we get another shot of Tony back at work. And then we see even more digits on the displays showing his progress, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not really sure why some of the frequencies have changed. Because we no longer have the, uh, you know, 1160 or the 1260. The, the the number on the bottom is now 1973. So, again, I think they're just random numbers. I don't really think they mean very much. <laughs> And then on the, the left-hand side, we can see some of the numbers partially obscured, whatever. And then we we, we see we get a shot of Carl uh, strolling down the corridor, you know, uh, holding this, this big, uh, you know, helmet type of thing. And then he puts it on his head. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of this minute, it looks like he has a, uh, a blast shield. Maybe he's going to, you know, start trying to, to, to fight off some probes. In the uh, Millennium Falcon, you know, with his uh, lightsaber. Yeah, he's going to have fun. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's he's whistling, he's humming, he's yeah. he's having fun here. <laughs> and that's pretty much how the, this minute ends. Did you have anything you want to say about the minute before we get into the script aspects of it? Uh, no, no, no. I think uh, yeah, I think I think I think we we uh, you know we we went through uh, pretty much everything that's there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. basically, the script starts off with with uh, a little description of Hans. It says Hans looks at his watch and seems pleased. He steps into the service elevator with the others and presses the button for the thirtieth floor. The entire sequence has taken maybe sixty seconds. Now we know this taking longer, but still, you know. <laughs> yeah. 
And then, and then it says, uh, you know, interior of Ellis's bathroom on the 30th floor. McLean is still barefoot. His pants legs are now rolled up above his ankles. He stretches his toes again. Damn, it works. He, he lights up a new Marlboro, dials a number on the bathroom phone. You know, so, you know, they, they do mention the fact about uh, making fists with his toes here. And then it, it says, uh, interior of the building basement, the phone room. A large sign says, specific Bell employees only. Inside, Tony stands in front of the intimidating matrix of phone lines. But what he has in mind won't require a doctorate in electrical engineering. Carl comes over, gives him an elder brother's punch in the arm, points out what to do. Together, they focus on four CPV plastic conduits, which run out of the main panel over their heads. Tony nods, opens a case, revealing a compact electric chainsaw. And then uh, we see, in, we go back to Ellis's bathroom, and McLean on the phone says, Argyle. And then we get a shot of the limo, where it says, Argyle is reclining on the seat. The music is on so loud that it is nearly impossible for him to hear. Hey, John, what's the word on you and your lady? The vote's not in yet. So, again, very minor discrepancies. I like the description of, of what Tony and Carl are, are supposed to be doing here. I think that... that that that's a great description. It's not something that you could really have in the movie, but you know the the line saying that what he has in mind won't require a doctorate in electrical engineering is just great. <laughs> yeah, and I I like the way that they change that that Tony and Carl are separate. Yes, because um, I think it it better sets up the sibling dynamics between them. Yeah, for sure. And that we're and we're going to talk about that next uh, tomorrow. Yes, for sure. So the, mm-hmm. those are the basic, and also the, another difference: Argyle in the movie calls John Mac, and in the mm-hmm. in the script he calls him John. Again, minor discrepancy. You know, it could have been just a, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they decided to to let him ad lib there, or who knows. Mm-hmm. Well, we shall never know. <laughs> All right, so every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guest will give a little story about an adventure or misadventure that uh, that he has had over his life that has some connection to a holiday trip or something that <laughs> happened along the on, on the holiday. So what well, have you I got for us? I... <laughs> well, uh, the 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 O'Hare household. Um, <laughs> uh, I, 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 I mentioned before, I come from a, a big Irish family. My father, uh, is the oldest of five, um, uh, on his side. And every Christmas Eve, we would all converge at, uh, one of his aunt's house for a, a big giant Christmas Eve party, uh, you know, where they would, they would have seafood and, uh, pasta. And, uh, it was a big chance to commune with all of my cousins, uh, and, the way that they would organize it uh, to make it simpler for everyone, uh, instead of each family having to buy presents for all of the ten, uh, well, it's twelve now, but I think it was ten at the time. Cousins, um, uh, instead, each of the five couples would p- get two kids in a grab bag, and so you would you would give uh, you would only have to buy two gifts uh, instead of ten, okay, uh, or eight, or whatever. Um, so, uh, but it was also, also, you wanted to be very careful as to, you know, it, it was also a bit of a lottery for the kids, uh, because you knew which aunts and uncles would buy good presents. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, I won't, I won't name this person because, uh, uh, she's not part of my family anymore. Um, but there was, uh, one particular aunt 
who had an affinity for buying clothes for for everybody. And uh, you know, I I can't. And everybody can't, wanted her presence. Well, yeah, no, I can't speak <laughs> for but but for uh, for young boys, uh, you know, uh, the 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 kiss of death uh, for Christmas or birthday is getting clothes. You want a toy. You want something that you could play with. Clothes, ah, you know, I'm going to wear that whenever. Reminds me of the uh, Hanukkah Harry skit on uh, Saturday Night Live. Have you ever seen that? With John Lovett? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Where they complain, you know, me being Jewish, I'm very familiar with it. They say, oh, now we know why Jewish kids get eight presents because they get all these, they get clothes all the time. (laughs) So there was one year where my cousin, my cousin Mikey, poor Mikey, um, uh, uh, I'll, 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 I'll make up a name and Lillian, uh, picked uh, picked, got little Mikey in the grab bag and <laughs> he saw her walking with this, you know, nice little, uh, you know, rectangular box that could only have been a sweater from JC Penney's. And it was probably a nice, a nice sweater, but <laughs> before he even opened it, he saw her carrying it. Says, "Here, Mikey, Merry Christmas!" And he, he was probably six or seven at the time, and he threw a tantrum, and he was so upset. No, she got me clothes, <laughs> and it was so embarrassing. And uh, my aunt Carrie. He did not suffer fools, and I'm sure he got quite the talking to afterwards. But the good news is that Aunt Lillian got the message, and the following year, when she drew me in the grab bag, I got a nice set of Star Trek micro machines. Ooh! Um, so it uh, <laughs> that that's that's one of my favorite holiday memories. <laughs> that's great. That's a great story. Thank you very much for that. Sure. So you want to once again tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Lil Eddie O'Hare. Uh, you know, you could also listen to pre- previous podcasts I've done. DC TV Report used to do with Sarah Netsley, and uh, I was on Bill Bill's, uh, Bill Sweeney's Wicked Theory podcast. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping to uh, put together something uh, towards the end of, towards the end of the year. Uh, so uh, you know, keep keep your eyes open. All right, excellent. And finding me is very simple. All you do is search for a movie or a minute. You can find me on my website. You can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Twitter. So until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay.